Welcome back to Questions You Never Thought to Ask, the Whitewater Kayaking Podcast, episode 38. My name is Seth Ashworth. And before we get into this week's episode, which is a pretty chill, low-key episode, uh, I just wanted to give a big thank you shout out to the people who support this podcast on Patreon. Patreon is a crowdfunding platform that allows you to chip in um, a couple of bucks every month and just kind of help keep it running. Uh, I know I've been a bit inconsistent towards the end of 2020, but we're we're getting back on track for 2021. I've got a good feeling about it. So if you're interested in uh, helping out the podcast, keep running, and also the added benefit of getting to hear the episodes before they come uh, live on general release, you can go find that at patreon.com slash Seth Ashworth. That's Patreon dot com slash seth ashworth and i would love to say that i really couldn't keep the podcast running uh, without contributions from the people who currently support it um it really does make a difference it helps pay for things like hosting charges which are just a frustrating reality of of keeping it going um that i wouldn't be able to carry all on my own i probably wouldn't be able to carry all on my own um so yeah i really do appreciate support and i want to say a big thank you to the people who are currently supporting i appreciate you guys uh, a lot Anyway, enjoy this podcast, and uh, yeah, don't forget, if you are not already, please go check out the Patreon to support it. Thanks a lot. Welcome back to Questions You Never Thought to Ask, the Whitewater Kayaking Podcast. This week, I'm joined by uh, one of the tallest and quietest men in kayaking, Alec Voorhees. Alec, welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? Just great, buddy. Just great. Um, Alec, we have had you on previously back in 2019, and I feel remiss that I have not had you on here to do an interview since then, Um, but here we are. And So why don't you introduce yourself to people who don't know uh, who you are or were confused by my introduction of you? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah, so Alec Voorhees, uh, 23 years old, uh, currently based out of Meridian, Idaho um and yeah just have been enjoying the uh winter here so far with doing some skiing taking a couple months to just kind of relax after paddling a lot this summer mainly on the north fork just sticking close to home um super super fun to get tons of laps on the north fork of the payette this summer just like constantly up there and getting as many laps as i could as i could and um so yeah, stoked to be on here again. So for people who didn't listen to the last episode that you were on, uh, we were talking right after you had just um, dislocated your shoulder on, uh, or, I don't know, you sublikes your shoulder maybe, on Alexandria uh, Falls, which is a 100-foot waterfall in uh, British Columbia, Canada, um, about, yeah, twenty. I guess it was August 2019 we were talking. Yep. So do you want to run us through... Um, Give us like a, a one minute version of what happened for people who didn't listen to that episode yet. And uh, and then maybe can you get fill us in on some things that have happened since then or the, the flow of rehab since then? Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, so back in 2018, uh, after running Alexandra, um, had a sweet line and was all good. Um, but my shoulder was pretty sore at the bottom. Um, and then that was kind of like the first main uh injury that kind of just happened to be like a series of injuries after that um which led to needing to get surgery like two months after that down in chile was the first time that my shoulder like fully came out on tres saltos a 60 footer just outside of pucon um and then rehabbed it didn't get surgery just uh took took a 
solid break, did my rehab and whatever, tried to heal it up on its own. And then um, that next May uh, in 2019 in Jake's at high water, I clipped this rock that was just under the surface and it kind of yanked my arm across my body and came out again. And that was a pretty close call. Um, but thankfully it was all good. And then um, at that point I knew that I needed to get surgery uh, and so then I had it scheduled for, I got scheduled for the end of September, um, 2019. And so this last winter, I just worked super hard, um, got in really good shape, got my shoulder healed up. Um, and, and so then just once I was able to start kind of paddling, uh, harder white water, it took me about, for me, it was like five and a half months before five months before I, um, and I was like, I felt 100%. And, um, a a lot of that was because of the injury that I actually had. Um, it wasn't a typical kayaker high brace arm gets above your head or out to the side or whatever. Um, just the way that the impact on the waterfalls happened, like tucking, like you're doing a roll, like setting up for a righty roll. Uh, my right shoulder just across my body, just that impact blew it out and um, it was actually a posterior dislocation and tore kind of like the capsule that goes around the shoulder instead of like actually this joint coming out and the bone coming out of its socket. So it was a pretty Yeah, I think more, more people experience that like anterior dislocation, right? And kayaking, like coming out the front because you have that like muscle imbalance of like a weaker chest and a bigger back. Yeah, totally. Um, like online, I found one, I've found only a couple case studies and one of them was like an offensive lineman in high school just from blocking and his arm getting pulled to the side. So super rare injury, which, um, thankfully it was just the torn capsule, um, didn't have any rotator or labrum damage. So, um, my recovery was pretty quick and, uh, had a good season of paddling, lots of, lots of laps up on the, um, golden Canyon up on the Clearwater in kind of mid-northern Idaho and then tons of North Fork laps and a couple of trips here and there. Um, so yeah, that's so kind of a nice, a nice happy ending story really for, uh, for people who listened to our last episode with you and maybe are going through their own, you know, shoulder problems. There is a, a light at the end of the tunnel. It's not, it's not doom and gloom forever. Um, in your case, at least. Yeah, totally. I, I, one of the things I always wanted to avoid was shoulder injuries and thankfully um, put in the work and uh, this year is actually like a, with everything that kind of happened, it was kind of perfect for me in a sense, in terms of paddling, just being able just to get a ton of like good kayaking, nothing um, that's super. Yeah. That would have, I ran some stuff that I obviously could have hurt myself again, but for the most part, it was just, tons of good kayaking and um so yeah just kind of my advice for people that um are dealing with shoulder injuries or any they can happen to anybody just like follow your pt take the take the time that you need to and just kind of under just feel it out and see how it feels so some solid advice there and I'm, I'm happy we put a little like kind of end end note on that last podcast we were on but why don't we take it back to um Alec Voorhees is a Ute. Obviously, we've started here at 23 and, um, you know, a well-known uh, top-level top, top level kayaker. 
how did you start kayaking and when did you start kayaking and where did you start kayaking? Um, so kind of the, the reason that I got into paddling was because of my parents. Um, my, my dad, uh, he kind of learned, start, started to learn kayaking towards the end of high school for him and then went to Idaho State University and ended up being, a, in, being an instructor in the outdoor program. And then um, he kind of, once him and my mom started dating, he convinced her to take the paddling class. And then um, from there, they were just a paddling couple. And kind of on their honeymoon, they did like an Idaho tour. And one of their stops was driving along Highway 55 in the North Fork of the Payette River. And my dad, like, actually saw, like, Rob Lesser and then a couple other um, local guys paddling and was like, we're moving to Boise so we can paddle the North Fork. Um, and so, yeah, so that's why the North Fork and the Payette is just kind of home. And so um, myself and then actually both my two younger brothers, Hayden and Connor, um, we all started paddling when we were six years old on the Payette because it's um, paddling in our own boats when we were six. And then before that, we were either in a duo or an inflatable kayak when we were like two. Um, so just always grew up on the Payette River. And um, a lot of times my mom and dad would take up the crib. And there's there was one kind of shady spot in the Banks parking lot where they would take turns. My dad go do a North Fork lap and then... Uh, that he'd get back, watch me, and my mom would either go do a South Fork or a Lower Five on the North Fork or something. So, uh, pretty pretty funny and kind of unique reason for living in Boise. But I mean, the Payette's perfect training ground. It's like it's everything so close and literally the perfect progression of just moving water to two, three, four, and then obviously the North Fork. So. So can you paint a little bit of a picture of what the scene, the paddling scene uh, or paddling opportunities, I should say, uh, are like there in Boise? I've never been there, and I'm sure a lot of people um, recognize the name like North Fork of the Payette from um, North Fork Championships, which is the big race that we're going to talk about um, in a minute. But what what else is there to paddle um, other than extreme class five Nana? Yeah, so, I mean, kind of the main like the main spot is banks, which is actually the confluence of the North Fork and the South Fork. And so, yeah, North Fork is pretty well known, continuous class five for 18 miles. Um, just some of the best kayaking that you can do anywhere. Um, and then you go over to the South Fork and that is just awesome. Class three plus four with um, the staircase section that is seven miles up from banks, paddle down to the confluence and take out of the, South Fork and the North Fork is right there. You go up further and there's some nice class two in between. There's like Swirly Canyon, which is maybe the best kept secret of the payout because it is the best slicey boat run I've found. It's, yeah, Swirly Canyon. It's so fun. Just endless seams and not really rapids, but just boils coming off the walls. So you're like dizzy and your abs just hurt by the end of it. It's, it's just the best. Um and then up above that is like the canyon section, which is kind of down away from the road. Um, awesome class three, a little bit of class four, and then Big Falls, which a lot of people are pretty familiar with. That is a super stout rapid if you run it when it's high. Um, but then anybody that's running there is just a crazy rapid just to look at. So it's pretty famous in that sense. Um, and then 
yeah, after the confluence of the North Fork and the South Fork, you've got the main, um, which is just, again, perfect class two, three. It's pretty deep. So I've, I mean, I've done plenty of just like jumping in and just swim down uh, through that section. And then below that is uh, the lower main, which is moving water and a couple class twos. So, um, and that's just all within, I mean, all of that is within 20, 30 miles. Uh, because it's all roadside and super easy to access. So, and it's an hour from Boise, um, just about. So, so that gives you a pretty optimal like launch pad situation of of progression. Um, it sounds like from from going from easiest to hardest w- without really having to travel anywhere. Yeah, exactly. It's and one thing too that I really like about living in living in Boise is, yeah, all summer the payout is fantastic. And the nice thing too, is that the North Fork is, um, the reason it runs all summer is because it's, um, because of agricultural needs. So it's just consistent flows no matter what all summer. Um, pretty much from March to even October when it gets kind of low is great and super fun. Sometimes it runs later, like May or something, but, um, for the most part, you have at least six months of, really good kayaking um and then going back to what i was kind of saying like boise's really is relatively uh, it's a good central location to other other states and other paddling spots like it's all kind of relative on how far it is but white salmon i can get to the takeout a little white in just over five and a half hours um kind of sacramento and the northern california stuff is like eight um, if I want to go down to Southern California or kind of more of the high Sierras, it's like 10, 11, um, Colorado's 12, Montana's like seven. So it's really good, really good location just for everything else. Seattle's like eight, Whistler's 11, 12. So, um, yeah, if, whereas if you're kind of on one of the outer ends of that, you've got a 20 hour drive, you know, to from Colorado to Whistler or something like that. So, or more, so kind of getting that aspect too. Yeah. It seems like it's a nice, uh, a nice ideal, ideal situation to be a, a six year old kayaking kid. Cause you've got these opportunities to like step up a little bit and your parents are like, you know, taking turns kayaking with you. And yeah, it sounds really, sounds like a great way to grow up to be honest. Yeah. It's, I definitely credit a lot of, I, I mean, I 100% credit, like, how I developed as a paddler, too. Just being able to paddle on the payette all the time because it was perfect progression. And were you, were you like, surrounded by a lot of other kids your age? Or is it pretty much just, like, you and your two brothers? Um, out, out, on was, the riv- out on the river, I mean. Yeah, so, like, when I was eight, or, yeah, kind of when I was, like, first, when I was learning um, Cascade Raft and Kayak, um, they have a really good program. They have, like, um, I used to go up on, my mom would take me up on like Wednesdays when I was probably like eight to 10 and they would have a Wednesday kids night and there would be like 30 kids paddling, um, going and doing, doing a main lap or whatever. And they had some like kids camps, which were like, you'd go up there and it's basically like a two or three day summer camp and you just go kayaking. So we would go do a South Fork. Um, and there were quite a few really good paddlers that were on the come up right right at that same time too, like, um, Seth Stoner, um, he's kind of a lesser known paddler in the grand scheme of things, but I mean, anybody that knows him, he's as good as anybody. And 
Um, he was like, he was four years older than me, but from, I mean, when, when I was like 10 and he was 14 for like two or three years, I could probably count on both my hands, like the amount of times that we didn't kayak together. So, um, we both were able to progress super quickly and he was a really good paddling partner. And there were lots of other really good people that were a little bit older than me, but was able to kayak with a lot of young kids, um, when I was starting to progress faster which was super cool i think having those like paddling partners who are like just a shade better than you or just a little bit older is so valuable um like especially when you're starting out like just having that like kind of moving goalpost over time where you're trying to catch up to i think that's so useful and so yeah. like under undervalued like i think not, not enough people really see the like the how good it is how the people you're with like or an impact on how you're learning. Yeah, totally. And and then after that, once I kind of got into um, like 14, 15, kind of beginning high school and stuff, then um, then I spent a lot of time with the Jackson family and being able to, um, thankfully, was um, they brought me in and became family. And I was thankful to be able to keep going back and back. And then obviously having Dane and Nick and Emily is that just like you were saying, those kind of mentors and people that are better than you, like that was, um, yeah, pretty invaluable base. And I basically did my own version of like world class or, or whatever, just, I went full online and was able to have those opportunities. So I did it a little bit differently, but, um, so yeah, you, you yeah. finished out your like last two years of high school traveling around with Dane and Nick and EJ. Is that right? Yeah, pretty much. I would do like two or three months at a time and then kind of, go back and then go on another trip or whatever, like multiple went to sick line while I was in high school or my first sick line might've been my first year of college. Um, but yeah, going to, I went to Uganda twice with them and Mexico a couple times and, uh, green race and stuff like that. So a lot of fun trips. And, that seems like a pretty great way to grow up to be honest. I'm still kind of digesting like what that must've been like. Um, so you're there in Boise and the big, the big deal in, uh, in that area from my perspective, from like a, a global looking in perspective, not necessarily like in the, in it looking out. Um, uh, but North Fork is like the big event there, like the big draw. Um, how old were you when the first North Fork happened? Um, the first year of the NFC, I was 15 years old. And um, so for people who are not, um, up to date on this North Fork championship is like one of the, the bigger high end, like uh, pro level whitewater kayak races where it's like in individual, uh, basically a giant slalom. There's a bunch of gates on a really hard rapid. The gates are always set up in a different position. They really, it's known as one of the most challenging races, uh, both in like technical difficulty and high consequence, and so you were f you were in fifteen. Did you race the first one, or when did you start racing that? Um, so with, with NFC, there's a, a couple races. There's like the qualifier that um, was on like the lower three miles, and then recently has been on S turn rapid. Um, and so that's kind of like the race that everybody is open to uh, compete in. It now there's a little over a hundred racers that are usually racing that one. Um, and then the main event on Saturday, the elite race, that's like the invite. Um, 
And so my first, um, my first three years, I did the lower race and was like trying to qualify because, um, and just get in that way because because you're just a punk kid, no one would invite you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Um, so you gritted it out. You're trying to you're trying to get qualified. Um, when did you first get to race on that on the like the the big day, the Saturday race? Uh, I did my. I guess it, I was I was 17 on that the first time I was able to race race the main event um and i just grinded out and trained like crazy had my dad drive me um drive me laps and was doing like splits and just worked really hard to be able to qualify um and then after that once i once the next year then i was 18 and had done some more traveling and done well um then i got invited and then um had and then also the top 10 from each year they get to vote on 10 people to come back in and so then once i got in the race i started getting top 10 and um and just being able to automatically be in it so um a little bit of home field advantage being able just to train and know the lines like the back of my hand but then also a lot of hard work just because that was always the highlight of my year was nfc and everybody coming to my home river and being able to try and do my best so. And what, um, now I know that the event organizers from NFC changed hands uh, last year. Do you want to talk us through uh, what the situation there is and then build into what's happening now? Yep. So, yeah, 2019, um, NFC 8, it was, it was the world championships. And, um, yeah, it right before the event, the... Uh, the word got out that it was going to be the last year of NFC. Um, James and Regan Bird, they're a couple that uh, used to live in Boise. Now they live in White Salmon. Uh, James is an absolute savage paddler. He was one of the people that ran Jake's at 9,000, uh, that super high water year, and Selway Falls, and super good, just not only kayaker, but just good athlete. And then... Um, Regan is awesome. She kind of, she grew up near Boise. Um, and so, yeah, they started the event eight, um, back. Yeah. They, it's funny. They would always call it their eight year old when, or their, uh, third grader because that's how old, um, the event was for them. Um, but basically they just were like, okay, we want to kind of move on and be able to do some other things. Cause NFC took up a lot of their time. Uh, just kind of in their late twenties, early thirties, just had started it when they were pretty young and we're just wanting to move forward. And, um, so then after that, after the event that year, my mom kind of approached them and was like, Hey, we don't want to see this die. Like take some time, but if you, um, keep us in mind, if you want to pass it on or whatever. And at first James was like, no, no, uh, we're gonna just, we're happy with how it ended or whatever. And, um then i guess it was october 2018 they came back and um we're like hey let's if you guys are still open we'd like to talk and so it took a few months to get everything kind of finalized but then um yeah last last february uh it officially switched hands and went straight to work and worked on it for a month before kind of everything everything went down and we're unfortunately forced to cancel but um 
now we're back up and getting the planning going. So, and um, so who's who's responsible for Norfolk now? It's your your family's whole project. Like, are you guys like what's your what's your job there now? Um, yeah, so it's it's myself, my brother Hayden, and then my mom mainly um, are the three people working on it. So, and we all just kind of split up the tasks and uh, do what needs to be done to hopefully make it happen. So, yeah, I, I would not want to be in your shoes to have it organ- to organize a, a massive race. Um, you know, even <laughs> even before, even like in a pre-coronavirus world. If you had been like, hey, Seth, you want to organize this huge race with uh, 100 competitors on the qualifying event and an invite-only Class 5 race on the Saturday with hundreds of spectators and all these moving parts, I'd have been like, no, thank you. <laughs> um, so big big respect for taking on that project, uh, you know, even, even from the start. And that does not float my boat at all. Now, that being said... Um, in the, the, I guess we live in like present coronavirus times, and I guess by summer 2021 here, we're gonna like some people are gonna live in a post coronavirus world. I guess. Um, are you anticipating like business as usual? Um, for what the race is in July or June? Uh, mid June. So mid June. What 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 are you what are your early predictions on uh, if it's gonna happen or not? Uh, I mean, right now. Right now, it's full steam ahead, and I am pretty confident that it will run in in some compa- in some capacity. Um, sponsors are all fire. The sponsors we've been able to be in contact with that um, they're all fired up. We, I mean, yesterday we had a meeting with Visit Idaho, kind of the tourism part of the state, and they're excited. NRS is super fired up, um, and so. Yeah, there, I mean, there's going to be some changes, um, but for the most part, and just in general, like if COVID wasn't a part of everyday life right now, like our kind of main thing that we wanted with the event was to just keep everything flowing as, as smoothly as possible and to really make it seem like nothing really changed because, um, I mean, one thing that's also, that's pretty unique as well is not only just us being local and, um, and having that aspect of the event, but um, I'm actually the only person to compete in every single North Fork. Um, so we've seen how it's grown and every change each year, you know, so um, being able just to see its progression, how it's grown, um, and then having kind of an idea of what we want to continue to grow, but then also just keep the branding and um, because James Riga did such a great job with it um but yeah obviously some yeah they they built they built such an incredible race like as, like i said as as an outsider who's never been to idaho like watching norfolk video recaps is like it's some of the best kayaking footage of the year every single year it's like oh, i i like i'm excited to see what comes out of norfolk cuz it it looks so intense and so like not just beautiful surroundings and beautiful white water and there's always a good carnage reel, but like just some really stylish pit paddling and people paddling really fast in really people making look, look people making very difficult white water look easy. And, you know, you can recognize that. And I think once you've been kayaking for just a little bit, you're like, 
oh, that's hard, and they're making it look very easy. And I think it's easy to have a lot of, um, I mean, I have a lot of respect for when I see that. You know, it's it's great to watch. So I'm excited to bring that back. You know, yeah, for sure. And that's kind of one thing too was um, not only was it like close to our hearts and some, I mean, literally my highlight of my year each year, um, but then just kayaking as a whole and just the kayaking community and all the paddling companies like i mean sick line no more um and that was a pretty high level event there's still others like i mean green race obviously is a pretty core race and um and then you've also got freestyle for everybody that follows that or whatever but i mean having nfc is just such a great showcase for kayaking and gets so much publicity for whitewater kayaking that, I mean, yeah, it was just kind of something important in that aspect as well that we felt. And so hopefully, um, I mean, like you were saying, it's, it's a huge undertaking and, um, yeah, I mean, down, like downright stressful and, very anxious about it, but also really excited. Um, just, I mean, just want it to go well and just have, have it be what it should be. Um, are you, are you concerned that you will end your race will end up going the same way as sick line and just, you know, fade out? Um, I mean, at this point, no. Um, yeah. You haven't run a race yet. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. Um, yeah. I mean, we're, we're kind of, yeah, we're we're planning on it running for um for the for the future. So um yeah, so it it'll be around for many, many years right now. So uh what changes do you think you'll be having to make or what changes are you planning to make for twenty twenty one? Um Are we gonna see a this is the big question. Are we gonna see a live stream of the, the Jake's ladder race? That's the the big I, we can just cut this whole interview to this one question. Is there going to be a Jake's live stream? Yes or no? We are working on it. <laughs> okay. That's so, a good answer. Yeah. It is in progress. We're works for it. Um, sure. I didn't get to... I know Green Race did a, a live stream this year, and I uh, unfortunately was working through the that day, so I didn't get to tune in but apparently it was quite successful and it was well done there was like multiple cameras and stuff and it was like a proper like how sick line used to be like had that same vibe yeah um did you see any of that coverage uh yeah i saw the um i was because you were there right you were actually racing this year yeah i was racing um but yeah i saw my parents watched it and um yeah i heard a lot of good things from it and saw like some kind of segments of it um i actually hayden hayden dane and i watched the rerun once we after it kind of got published and yeah it turned out really well um, how did how did you like being at a race event in like present day corona times it was i mean it was pretty cool um yeah obviously green race they um encouraged no spectators uh to be down there so there were um they couldn't like inf really enforce it to an extent it, to an extent. Um, but there were less people than all of us were kind of expecting. 
to be down yeah, there. I saw, I saw a picture. I, I don't think anyone's done like a side by side, but I saw a picture with like, there's a bunch of people down there by Gorilla. But I've been down there um, myself a, a few years ago. And I remember there being like rows of people, pretty much 3D put Gorilla, like uh, uh, hundred, hundreds of people down there at this one rapid. And you knew, you couldn't see the paddler once they went through the notch um, from like the, the highest point on the bank. But you could hear if they had a good line or not. Because yeah. the crowd would either be like silent or they'd be super loud, um, and I don't know why no one's done a side by side picture yet, but uh, it, it I I definitely notice a lot fewer people, um, but obviously still still one or two, you know, because there's not not an enforceable way to be like don't show up. What was it like being uh, like a racer, like around other racers in the build up? Um, you know, the, the social the social aspect of it is obviously a big part of kayaking. And a big part of racing, right, for me at least. Did you find there was like a, a significant impingement on the the hangouts, or was everyone like hanging out but outside? Or what was the what was the deal there? Um, yeah. So like myself, Hayden, Dane. Um, you guys had a little bit of a training a training bubble situation, right? Yeah, totally. Um, kind of Isaac Hall, Carson Lindsay came in, E.G. Um, so we just kind of like we would have kind of our group of we would kind of have our group and um, between that we would split up in the cars and everybody was wearing masks and then um, which is kind of I mean I've done quite a few green races and that's how it normally goes um, you kind of just get your people that you're wanting to train with and um, figure it out but yeah everybody was doing doing a job wearing masks on the shuttles and. Um, not really, and then once we were kind of done paddling, we were just, yeah, we'd have some other people. Um, we'd have like a kind of this crew that we were paddling with, and um, hang out uh, occasionally after that. And then, um, yeah, racing was sweet. Um, yeah, I mean, really, to me, it wasn't all that much different. Um, just a couple little things, but um, I mean, for me, I like yeah we weren't really missing the whole social aspect that much but you are um, kind of like you're the quiet giant like you know yeah you're I'm, the guy who's often not in yeah. the, <laughs> in the in the mix in the mix of the party zone you know yeah totally very do you do you think the sure. other guys like like dane is normally in the mix of the party zone not saying he's like king of the party all the time but like he's pretty social guy yeah, off yeah. the water did you yeah. notice uh, the the people who are usually more social, like any negative impacts um, on their like I don't want to say like mental well being, but like was it bothering them that they couldn't do the normal like hangout stuff, or were they just like kind of accepting of their fate? Um, I I feel like I feel like people have kind of I mean by it was November at this point or kind of end of October when we first arrived. So people have kind of gotten used to it in a sense. Um, so I, I mean, I didn't notice anything. Um, seems pretty really. like, sorry to cut you off. Um, America seems to have a pretty mixed uh, view of like coronavirus precautions and stuff uh, from what I've seen and kind of like, you know, just seeing the periphery, but like yeah. in Canada, you still can't like go to a gym or you can't go to a bar or you can't, there's like and it's it's worse at the moment but even like in that time in like november 
most people like couldn't really go anywhere or do anything and, and everybody's kind of like resigned to their fate. America seems to like depending on what state and even like what town you're in, they seem to have a very different view of like government intervention. Um how did you find it going from like basically one side of the country to the other? Um yeah, like definitely rural North Carolina. Um I mean going in the store a lot less people are wearing masks. Um I mean, rural Idaho is, I mean, very similar. Um, but then, like, here kind of in Boise and more urban areas. Um, I mean, you go into Nashville or Chattanooga or whatever. Then, um, So, like, yeah, it's just kind of definitely the urban areas versus rural um, is kind of just the more – is kind of what differ, differentiates more. Um, but, yeah, I mean, U.S. is definitely – I mean, it's been well documented and kind of it's yeah, I would assume that's pretty apparent to <laughs> other people on the outside and kind of what's going on. It just um, it seems like it's a lot more varied, like it's more of a scatter shot of differing, like a real mixture of rules and regulations that seem to be wild, like very far apart. Like in Canada, there's like different uh, provinces have their own rules, but they're not that far off each other. Yeah, it's the general gist um yeah for sure it's yeah it's definitely very split hmm. so hmm. i was just sorry that, that little tandem was more of like i was just more curious than anything um all right let's get back on track here i had a, a little list of talking points that i wanted to talk about um you've got two younger brothers who are both kayakers uh your younger brother hayden uh, had a pretty good year, 2019. Um, he had that really smooth uh, Puma line, um, which is like a 100-foot-plus waterfall in in Chile. Um, he's two years younger than you or three years younger than you? Uh, two and a half. Do you feel like he's overshadowing you? Are you worried about it? Does it make you push harder? Uh, no, I wouldn't say he's overshadowing. Um, I, yeah, he, I mean... Yeah, last last year he had a really sweet chili triple. I was just kind of back and back and rehabbing, um, and just kind of doing my own thing. And his boomer all... line was so greasy. Yeah, he had a good. Like one. it was so good. I was like, oof. Yeah, he yeah going down there. He kept saying he's like, like I'm gonna run Puma. I'm like, all right, we'll see. go go do it then. And yeah, yeah, he, he had a sweet line and had a really good trip down there. Um, yeah, it was. I mean, it was. It was. Does it keep you awake? Does it feel like he's coming to get you? I mean, like he's. I mean, let's be honest. Everything I taught him, everything he knows. So, <laughs> <laughs> I was the I was the trailblazer. Um, no, he's. I mean, there were there were definitely a couple times. It's. It was this year because I was more kind of staying away from waterfalls. Just to make sure that my shoulder was a hundred percent. And he definitely ran a couple drops this year that I was like, yeah, I'm just going to pass. Um, I was just like, I don't want to get hurt again. And he is still just hasn't really had that yet and was fired up and everything would have gone a hundred percent fine for me. But I was just like, I'm just going to walk. But um, yeah, you don't have to run everything, man. I, I wish more <laughs> people would say that, but like, um, uh, I'm very someone said it to me in 2011. They're like, you don't have to run everything, and I was like, ah, oh, 
And yeah. uh, I, it's been the most valuable, one of the most valuable lessons of my kayaking, I think. And it's one of the ones that doesn't seem to get shared enough. And I don't know why. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm very happy walking at this point, like, um, for sure. And then, I mean, when it comes to like, if we're just comparing Hayden and I's paddling, um, like they're on like really big route on kind of more like river running, big water, kind of that stuff. I mean, he's still obviously super, super good at river running and big water, but, um, like on untouchables this year and, um, coyote falls up on the clear water, which is definitely one of the biggest rapids I've run. It was pretty site Z esque. Um, like I was super fired up on those and, um, we both had really good lines and stuff, but just kind of, yeah, having having that, I, I've still got that in my back pocket. I love. Honestly, I was rapids. just razzing you, to be honest, buddy. I just uh, wanted to see wanted wanted to see what what would shake out if I shook the tree a little bit on that one. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, all good. <laughs> what uh, what is okay? Next question. Moving on. What is a failure or mistake you can point to, um, and what were the lessons that you learned from it? Hmm. Put me on the spot. Well, I've got um, I, I was I I've got a direction I thought you were going to go, but uh, what what do you think? Well, now I'm curious what what you thought I was going to go. Well, so more than actually more than actually trying to think of something for me. Well, why don't I I tell you why I thought you were going to go right away? Because it seems like where I would have gone right away. Why don't you tell us about West Cherry? Oh, that one. Yeah, that sucked. Um, yeah. So, yeah. What in 2017 when Cali had like the super good year, I had a really good Cali tour. Um, and we, uh, yeah, so me, myself, Dane, and then Noria, um, were rallying to go do West Cherry. And it, it started off as a fiasco from the very beginning. Like Dane, Dane stole his sprinter at the time. Just before and, you, before you start, can you describe, uh, West Cherry? For yeah, people yeah. who are unaware, like I'm unaware, give me a give me a rundown. Yeah, so West Cherry, it's um, one of the high Sierra runs um, in California. That um, uh, yeah, so it's like a six mile hike in, and then it's a tributary to like the really famous Upper Cherry Creek uh, that a lot of people know with like Cherry Bomb, but it's um, yeah, it's a tributary that comes in towards the bottom of that and um super just awesome granite like looks like you're on the moon or something when you're out there but really famous slide called graceland that john grace first did um a while back and um yeah just awesome slides and waterfalls and stuff and um so even before we were even close to there we were loading up food by because it's a multi-day and right as we pull out of the grocery store parking lot dane sprinter just decides to stop working right in the middle of the intersection so he like frantically getting it back into the grocery store parking lot and uh dane had to like fly out in like a couple days and so we were just gonna like hike in and or gonna try and get it done really quick but then um yeah his rv just decided to stop working and so we took my car and between only having one car and honestly Dane Sprinter wouldn't have made it up to the put in for shuttle, which uh, we were just going to try and make happen. But um, 
so we load up in my car and then there's kind of a rafting company and cafe a little in Groveland, which is the closest little town. And so then we waited all day just trying to find somebody, but they were all um, to do to pay to do shuttle or whatever. Um, so we waited all day long before they got back. And then one of our friends, Lewis, he, Lewis Norris, he finally got back. He's like, yeah, I'll shuttle you guys. And so we drove in and got to the, got to the trailhead or whatever. And it was like nine o'clock. And so we're just like, and at this point, then we could only, Dane had to fly out in two days. So we were just going to one day it or whatever. Um, hike and like, how, sorry, how long does the run usually take? Uh, it's usually like a two day. Okay. Um, including the hike. So like it's a, it's not that bad of a one day. Like it was going to be, we ended up basically one daying it. Uh, but so we started hiking super late and then just camped on the trail. And then that morning, um, we got up early because we had to get moving. And so Nori was like, I'm slow. So I'm going to, I'm going to start going. And it was like six 30 or something. And Dana were like, okay, well we're right behind you. And, um, and Evan Garcia had gave, had sent us some beta on the hike and whatever. And, um, follow the legs, go this way, go here. Um, and then Noria, she had a pin of Graceland on her phone. Um, it didn't have like a map downloaded, but it was just like a pin on like a grid. So you could just see like the general direction of it. Um, but she took off and then she, Dana and I never, never really saw her. And, um, a couple hours into the hike start the trail starts getting a little fuzzy and then you kind of break away from the trees or whatever and then it's just kind of granite everywhere um and at the takeout from another group they're like yeah just go go left of the dome and you'll see graceland uh and so dane and i start hiking left of the dome and there's no river and we're like god they said left of the dome where is it and so we just we ended up being lost for seven hours before we finally found Graceland. <laughs> just hiking like crazy. Just Dane and I just lost. And thankfully there was a little creek that we kept crossing over and we were able to get some water and stuff. But then, um, then we're finally just dropped our boats after being lost forever. And we're like, let's just go check over this way off to the right side of the dome and ended up finding some like stacks, rocks and Karens and, just were like, let's follow these and took us to the right of the dome and eventually got to Graceland uh, or saw Graceland from the overlook. Um, and then still had no idea where Noria was, but we assumed that she made it down there and we get like, it takes like an hour and a half of just like bushwhacking and just kind of some like cliff scrambling to get down to the water. And then we see Noria down a ways and we're like, okay, she's made it. And so we like try to whistle, try to get her attention. And then, um, yeah, so then we finally made it down there, and we're all good, uh, exhausted. Um, and then we ended up hiking up and running Graceland and just camping right there at the put-in. And Dane's like, I'll just change my flight. And we ended up doing basically a one day the next day. So it was a very long couple days and a lot of beatering. But uh, How long is the hike usually supposed to take? Um, I want to say four four hours. Is like how a, how long do you think it took you guys? Um, I mean, we were 
so we hiked we hiked for like an hour the night before and then we started hiking from like 6 30 in the morning and i don't think dane and i got down to graceland until like maybe four four in the afternoon so it was like 10 hours something like that Might one thing one thing i find myself saying a lot lately uh is that you never make a mistake if you learn something and so you either have a successful outcome or you learn something and that's the takeaway from every misadventure what do you think the takeaway from this misadventure was for you guys um for us for me i was definitely like okay no more just like even if you're slow just we'll we'll wait or just kind of stick together when you're hiking out away out and away and nobody's done the trail before um and then if you have a pinpoint on the map like we just should have dan and i should have gotten that as well um yeah it i really want to get back to west cherry and do it right because i know that the hike is not that bad (laughs) yeah it sounds bad everything you just described from like the van breaking down in the parking lot to getting to the first rapid sounds horrible yeah it was it was an adventure for sure <laughs> um can you think of any other good uh, mistakes where you learned a lesson that was um, a great one though yeah I've, I've got another good story from from a couple years ago actually Come at us, bro. uh so 2018 um and up at the stakine season um evan moore and i we um we went up there and we're just like planning we were just going up the stakine and gonna just stay up there for as long as it was in uh we ended up having an epic two weeks getting eight laps eight laps in in pretty much exactly two weeks um so just so much good kayaking but then i want to say it was like our fourth lap or something and um so it was me, Evan, and then Tad Dennis and Mike Ferraro had driven up to meet us. And um and so we between between us we had the two two vehicles and like Benny and Anyol were up there as well, but they were kind of on their own program and getting ready to do like a first D. Uh and so we're and so we're like, okay, we'll just go down and um like evan and tad were like we'll go down and um just drop both cars and hitchhike and the stikine for people that don't know is um up in northern bc like pretty close to alaska so super remote and not a lot of people and the shuttle's like two two and a half hours long one way um but there's there's cars that drive from a little town down there up to uh Deep's Lake and then along the highway or whatever. So, and Benny and Anya were like, yeah, we've hitchhiked a couple, a few times. And so, um, the story kind of has two, like, yeah, funny parts from both ends. So for, <laughs> so for me, my Ferraro and I were just like chilling at the put in while they went and set shuttle. And we were, I was expecting them to be like five or six five or six hours, just give them a little bit of time to be able to hitchhike or whatever. And, um, yeah, so we were just chilling at the put in all day long and 
it starts getting to like seven, eight hours, and we're like, man, they sh- where are they? They should be here by now. And um, just they nowhere to be found. And because Benny and Anil were off doing their own thing, Benny's truck was was at the put in as well. But he had like I had like seen him kind of put his keys somewhere like next to his car under a rock or something. And so I was like, after a while, we're like, okay, we should try and find Benny's keys to go to Deese Lake and see if they're there and just can't get a ride from there or whatever, or drive the road and just find them because they're taking forever. Um, and so we look for, look for Benny's keys, can't find them. And then they had left at maybe seven in the morning. And at this point it's dusk and up there doesn't get dark till a little bit later. So like, all right, let's look for his keys one more time. And so Ferraro and I are look for Benny's keys at 10 or 11 o'clock and we're both like looking for like 10 minutes and then we hear beep, beep. And then Ferraro was like, did you find him? I was like, I was like, no, did you? He's like one of, and then we're like, one of us just stepped on him. And so Ferraro had stepped on him and was like, okay, I'll run into town. So I grabbed Benny's car and it's like getting, it's basically dark at this point. And then I get halfway to Deese Lake, which is like 45 minutes. And, um, and then I look and the gas light comes on. I'm like, no, because I know that the gas station is closed because it's, way up in the middle of nowhere and so i'm like i can't i can't turn around now because then there won't be enough gas and so i was like i'll just keep going try and find evan and them and then deal with it and i get to deese lake and they're not at the gas station it's like a town it's a super tiny town there's one intersection and i mean there's like 20 houses total (laughs) like there's two little motels a gas station grocery store thing and that's basically it and they're nowhere over there i'm like and so to myself, I was thinking that on the way there, I passed two cars. And so I was like, okay, they definitely were in one of those cars if they're not here right now. And so, but for me, I'm like, I, the gas station's closed. There's no, nobody at the gas station working. And so um, they're at, over at the hotel. There were kind of a group of like 10 people just hanging out, just people at work and whatever. And I go over, tell them the story. And this one guy is like, he works out at the kind of oil field and he's like, it's like, Oh, we've got some, I think we've got some, we've got some gas, like either weed whackers or, um, out at the work site. So I'll, I'll take you there and we'll go, we'll go find some gas. And so this guy just like at 11 o'clock just takes me and we go look around because they all, and they're all like, no, we all drive diesel up here. And so we're just trying to find this gas and, can't find we go out to this work site look at every machine and all of them are there's no gas or it's all diesel and then he's like all right well there's this there's this one there's these two brothers and they they ride go-karts and i know that i know that those run on gas so maybe we can go and he's like he's kind of this funny like kind of smaller kind of weasley weasley dude but super helpful and just like trying to come up with any idea and so we go to these people's house and it's like one o'clock in the morning and we're both like feeling kind of awkward, but I'm like kind of feeling desperate. Like we're both feeling desperate and he goes and knocks on the window right by this guy's head. And the guy like comes out and (laughs) like, Hey, uh, sorry, we're looking for some gas and wake these people up. And they're like, we're no, we just, we don't have any gas right now. And so then 
We're like, okay. And, and then I go back and we're both just like, all right, whatever. I'll, I'll figure it out in the morning. And I also didn't have my wallet too, obviously, because it was down at the car. I didn't have, I just rushed and I just didn't have, yeah, just, I forgot money. So at that point I was even like, but so then we go to the little hotel and I get on Wi-Fi, and I'm like, I'll see if they, like, have posted anything or whatever. And then I get on there, and Evan had put a story of them. And it was, and I remember it saying, like, the Stikine, when the Stikine shuttle goes wrong, and it was a car upside down in the, off the side of the road. Oh, my God. And I was like, what the hell just happened? And I was, tell- and I was like, showing the guy. I was like, dude, I have no idea what's going on and or where they are and and then it crosses my mind i'm like i'm like onyal's car is parked right over there on the other side of the gas gas station and i'm like i'm pretty sure it's gas and so what what we ended up doing is siphoning gas from onyal's car into benny's and they get and the guy was i was like i was like dude you've it's super late and you've been driving me around. You've been driving me around helping me. Like I can do it. He's like, Oh no, I've, I've done this before. And so then he starts siphoning the gas and starts breathing in it and then just starts coughing and just hacking everywhere. Cause he swallowed gas. And I was like, Ugh. dude, I feel so bad. Like they, I just felt so bad. He's like, Oh no, no, <clears throat> no, worries. no, no worries. No worries, Ugh. man. And just like dying. And, but then eventually we fill up, a jerry can and uh are able to get gas so i can get back and i like thank the guy and ask where i could find him to like give him some money once i get back for the help or whatever like oh man don't worry about it but ended up giving him some yeah some some uh cash to, for helping me out so then i at that point i drive back i'm like i have no idea where they are so i just drive back to the put-in and the, uh, thinking that they were going to be there and so I get back and where I was sleeping and he hears me and he's like, did you find them? And I was like, they're not here. He's like, no. He's like, dude, I have no idea where they are. And I told him about the Instagram story and go to bed and we wake up and then finally Tad and Evan show up at like 11 the next day from, a, from these people that grabbed him. And we're just like, they're like, we have the craziest story. And I was like, I've have my own adventure too. <laughs> <laughs> so and where where were they? What's the what was yeah, the so, so the the other side of it is they went down and were trying to hitchhike for like they said like three hours or something like that, like quite a while. And then finally they're just like they're just like, Oh we'll we'll just not double shuttle. We'll just 'cause that's that was the whole goal was to be able to do two laps off of one shuttle. Um mm. that was the whole goal of that was be able to do two laps um so they're like all right we'll just drop one car and come back and then there was this car that kind of was like passing them and so they're like should we ask this guy and so they like pulled they like pulled him over it was this dad and his son and they're like hey do you mind if we could get a ride and they're like oh yeah no worries and so they went down dropped the car off off again and then hopped in and they like it's kind of a climb out uh, from the takeout, and then you're just kind of up on a ridge, and 
then the guy, the dad was like, hey, do you mind, do you guys mind if my son drives? I'm kind of teaching him how to drive. Um, and so they're like, oh yeah, no problem. And so they, then the son starts driving and he, Tad and Evan are in the back and they go and they're like coming up onto this corner and both Evan and Tad are like getting kind of gripped. They're like, this guy's taking this corner really fast, but they don't want to say anything because mm-hmm. this dad's like having a father-son moment and just starts to turn and then the car just starts fishtailing and then just flips off to the side and so they like <laughs> wreck the car oh and, and so then and that was kind of kind of a funny part of it too is like there was a cooler kind of in the middle of Evan and Tad in the back and that when they flip Tad is on the high side and Evan is on the bottom and the dad and son are like, you okay? Like, I'm so sorry. He's like, no, it's okay. And then Tad's after a minute, he's like, he's like, Evan, are you okay? He's like, get off of me. The cooler is crushing my face. And <laughs> just has like this <laughs> nasty cooler dripping on him. And so they like climb out of the car and... And everyone was okay? Yeah, they were all fine. Oh, wow. Um, but so then they, another car came up onto him and Evan and Tad hopped in there and then got a ride into town and we're like, what the hell just happened? And then from there, it was like 40 minutes from, to where they were going to be able to hitchhike or 40 minutes left of hitchhiking to the put in. And, um, so they sit out there forever. Nobody gives them a ride. And finally they go, they go to that hotel that I was talking about earlier. And they're like, Hey, I have my, they're like, we don't have our wallets, but we'll, we promise we'll pay. Uh, we'll, we'll pay. Like, here's my, Evan's like, here's my camera. It's super expensive. You can take this or whatever. And they're like, no, no. And then coming down the stairs into the lobby was the dad that they rode up with that got in the car wreck and they had gotten a hotel and invited Evan and Tad to stay in the room with them. <laughs> And they were desperate, like whatever. And so they ended up staying in the hotel room that night with the fa- with that family, or with the father son, and then ended up being able to hitchhike the next morning. But so, and then we're just like, ended up doing a one day stakeen, and all good was after that. And then we were able to get a couple laps in. So. I mean, what but, I that's incredible. Uh, what's the takeaway lesson there? I'm not even sure where to begin. Yeah, I I mean, I guess, I guess for me, I like, I definitely check the, if I'm in somebody's car and kind of out and away, I definitely check to see what the uh, gas is, what the level of gas is. That's, that would have saved me a lot of problems. Yeah. Yeah, that was like kind of thing. And it was funny too. A couple of days later, when we finally saw, uh, like, Benny was, we passed them on the takeout and told him the whole story. And he's like, he's like, dude, that's so funny because Anil, Anil and I were driving. Anil was just like, he's like, man, bro, the the gas is running fast for some reason. And it was because I like, took, like, <laughs> half the gas that was left in his car. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that was a pretty crazy crazy story but really good two weeks of paddling and a sick one day out to follow it up so yeah what a what an episode of of gas debacle yeah wow um 
Well, we've been going for like an hour here. I had a couple of like quick fire questions I had written down here um, that don't seem like they'd be very impactful after that story. So I think we'll just, I'm just going to can those. Um, is there anything you want to add on here, Alec? Um, I think, think I'm all set. Unless there's anything else that you have, but yeah. Yeah, I'm no, good. I had some like kind of asinine, my usual variety of asinine questions like what superpower do you have and what's your favorite vegetable and if you could be an animal which one would you be but you know like we don't we don't really have to get into that we, we've been going for a long time people are gonna have probably tuned out some time ago so um <laughs> alec where can people find you on um on the gram on the facebooks etc uh yeah i facebook just alec Voorhees, and then um instagram is alec Voorhees kayak um and you can follow me there if you want i hope that people do you have uh, some really cool stuff coming up with norfolk that i think everyone is excited to to see future coverage of of that event and to hopefully see that event grow and build um and see what you guys do with it take that third grader up to uh all the way to college and yeah that's that's all i've got for this week um Thanks for listening and uh, we'll see you in the next one. Okay, peace.